Boys and girls, we are back. It has been me and Dude for a seriously warm minute. And a few couple guests along the way. A couple guests along the way, but it has been a bit of a, a dual console ship, I would say. But the uh, the people are getting what they wanted. They're getting the trio back. The band is back together for Rap 25. How fitting. Big China 2.0. Introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm glad to be back, uh, stoked to finally be able to make a contribution, again, a, a sizable audio contribution, not just my, uh, my writing and my um, waxing lyricals in the... Uh... You do love the sound of your own voice, don't you? I don't mind waxing a little bit of lyrical, and if you're not waxing on, waxing off, what are you doing? That's exactly right. Uh, but no, it's good to be back, keen to rip in, got some big stories today, we're not really, as per usual, we've got no idea what we're doing, but um, we're going to have a crack, we're going to have a go, so um, what I'm more keen to hear is, I've been away for six months, so I know we've been putting Annie through some pretty intensive speech therapy to try and uh, work out those kinks, so as host of the show, I'm keen to hear how it goes, um, don't forget, like, what I would say is, um, leave, your, leave your feedback in the comments, and the less constructive the better, particularly towards Andy's um, elocution. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Eloquation. If you want to be put on the on the after list, on the hit list from me, then leave your least constructive feedback. And us Eloquisha Cameron. Eloquisha Manisha. Dougal, long to short amount of period of term time. How you doing, man? Man, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to kick it and chill it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it, is it chill if I chill here? <laughs> It's good to have another band back in the mix. A bit of manpower. A bit of extra manpower is good. Um, more energy, I think. Got more hands on deck, don't we? You have more you got six hands on deck. That two more than we had before. Fifty percent increase. Fifty percent increase, those are strong some powerful numbers. And us <laughs> why don't you take us through um, what we're gonna be doing today and how we're gonna do it. Well, if you're a long time fan of the show, you know the uh, you know the go, but if you're new, we break the show down into a few different segments. We have an international story, a domestic story. We've got some beta males along the way. That's a f- fan favourite, I would say. But, 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 we don't start there, do we? Do we, boys? No. No, we don't. Going in, going on. Are you on a roll, Andrew? You're on a roll. No stutters for about 30 seconds. <laughs> don't be so mean. Yeah, don't be so mean. You come back here, you think you own the place. Let's go, go on. Chop, chop salad. Let's Just go. Just because you've got a, a hot date to go to. Because you've got a hot date back in Balmain. <laughs> He's got a time limit. He's got yeah. a time limit. There's a time mission. Yeah. And if he fails, he's sleeping on the couch. You've got five minutes to save the world. <laughs> no hesitation. Oh. Only got five minutes to save the world. <laughs> well, especially... <laughs> That's actually quite a nice segue into our first segment. Speaking of Alex being whipped, we uh, pay homage to all the wives of, and girlfriends in jumping to conclusions. Paying homage to them when they make outlandish statements with no real backup to it. The type of going through your phone type of vibe. Type of sleeping on the couch when you're late to the hot date type of vibe. Accuse you of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Saying they pregnant? I know you ain't got no evidence. <laughs> well, Dave's considering all There's a lot of fake news. It's a homage to the fake news that gets tossed around by all the, all the wives and girlfriends. Considering you're uh, pretty much a self proclaimed connoisseur of the 
of the female, I would say you can start with jumping to conclusions. Well, so what's the what you said? I have a degree in pulling women. <laughs> <laughs> I have a degree in pulling women. <laughs> All right, my jumping to conclusions. It's an NBA-related conclusion. Mm. Mm. We tend to get a few of these, particularly from Dougal. Not you. My mine's pretty pretty broad usually. This one. It's a man named Greg Popovich, and uh, he's regarded by many as coach of a generation. I think that's fluff. I think he's not that good. I think he might be mildly above average. I think his championships that he won with the Spurs were a result of Tim Duncan primarily and a couple other side pieces, and that he's been exposed recently... Uh, with two All-Stars on his team uh, and not doing very much. And then particularly at the FIBA World Cup with the best team in the in the competition by far, gets, what, 7th or 8th? Well, we get the gist of your conclusion. We, uh, we'll, we'll get into it if we get into it, I think, is the, is the vibe, eh? I'm sure um, we will get into it if we get into it. That's a pretty brutal moderation, but I'm happy to accept the interjection. I just think if, if Zan's going to be on a hot date, we need to keep it short and snippy. Well, short and snippy, that's your I'm sure Zan's date's short and snippy as well. Yeah, yeah. It's because I just take him straight back to the court. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> straight back to the what? <laughs> so what's Alex, that? what's your conclusion, mate? Okay, I've been, you know, I've been thinking about this for the kind of last minute and a half. Um, my conclusion is... What a uh, pre-frame. Is 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 the the, the following? Uh, it's time for us to change the stigma around jeans and joggers. Um, full stop. Okay. That's how you can tell the relationship's getting serious when he starts taking jeans and joggers. He's moving into a bit of a quarter age. Crisis. His hot his hot date, I bet, is him putting up some paintings and making sure they're straight and li- li- <laughs> listening to the advice from the back. Jamie's gone to the stage where he likes going to Ikea. <laughs> likes it yeah. sifting through Ikea. He likes putting them together. Yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not at that stage and I reject all the, um, the assertions. Look, I'm a, um, I reject I'm a the premise. Of, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of that. I would say, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. That's the classic two-face handoffs. We need to jump in on the bandwagon when it suits and then jump out. When, you know, oh, you should, say, you should have seen it. You should have seen it. I'm being a goddamn moderator. I'm trying to moderate this. But I got... When I, whenever mum gets me in trouble for something, Andy loves <laughs> jumping on, loves jumping on. And then mum just told Andy to keep his room clean the other day. And mum, Andy basically had a meltdown in an argument <laughs> with mum because he was stressed out about the HSC. I said like one thing, but I refrained from jumping on because I was a better bloke. <laughs> As you can tell, it's one of DC's stories of hyperbole, but you know what? Was I'll it slightly embellished? I can see that happening, Andy, that, you know, if we were to reflect and um, look back through the years, there have been numerous examples where you've, you have um, dished it out without being able to cop it. Um, One of the the great stories is obviously the running down to grandmas of 2009, um, all-timer, all-timer. All right, well, uh, (laughs) a a story for another day, I think. Uh, My conclusion... That could be like a, um, that could be like a special content for the Patreons. Is uh, story time. Story time. Maybe a good idea, actually. But um, my conclusion is that the uh, NRL off-season is more interesting than the NRL on-season. That's simply blasphemous. Simply blasphemous. So, uh... I don't... I think that's just ridiculous. 
I understand that these conclusions are supposed to be slightly controversial, but I think there's a point at which absurdity <laughs> um, becomes the currency. So I would say um, I'm happy for Andy to explore that. Andy squirming under the weight of his own say, ridiculous conclusions. I, always good well, I reckon it sounds like Andy's the NRL offseason has a lot to do with the so-called kutch Andy mentioned before, <laughs> which he claimed to not know about. I didn't claim to not know about it. I just moved on to the next thing, didn't I? I want to hear, I want to that hear, sounds a lot like you know about the coach. <laughs> I want to hear Alex defend Jason Jogic. Uh, I think it's an easy defence. I think a, a lot of people secretly want to wear it, but because of the stigma out there, they don't. Dudes, what do you think, Bat? Well, I think a lot of people wear jeans and joggers. I'll tell you, all more than average. We need to get into the bloody the mash, the, <laughs> the, the meat and potatoes, the meat and veggies. Or, or the main, main veggies, <laughs> or potato and veggies, or, or as Andy likes to call it, the mash. The we get into the mash of the show. The, ra- the rabbit food. <laughs> um, Andy, the mashup. No, mashup, Cameron. All right, let's do. Are you looking for me to decide? Well, I'm saying we do Alex's. Okay, we can do jeans and joggers. Fine, I think it's pretty easy, but for sure. All right. Now you two have got your bloody bastardry out the way, we can get into the international story. Because Alex has been rationalising the uh, the jumping to conclusions for Alex and no more jumping to conclusions. I don't get it. Now we're we doing domestic story first. We're we doing the international handles because first item on the on the run sheet is domestic, but you've jumped straight to international. So I oh. see that there's no process here, there's no order, and you've been dribbling since the beginning. So, geez, Alex is on the offensive. Sorry, says it. Maybe I just shouldn't be. Out of the game. I'm Andy's the Kurds and Alex is the Turks. Let's uh, let's go domestic then. Let's do domestic. I'm inside of domestic. Let's yeah, do it. so that's why I said let's do the domestic. Yeah. Let's go. So how about you get on talk about the drought and the farmers, Dukes? Well, domestic story is actually a bit serious. Well, a bit serious, pretty serious. About it, more serious than on average, I would say. More serious than not serious. Um, so the domestic story. I mean, this got coverage on. Particularly when Alan from Alan Jones, this story. It's about the drought and the, and the farmers. Um, Alan Jones has been talking about this story for a little while. He, he he had Scott Morrison on in a radio interview, and it got pretty heated, pretty aggressive, about is the government doing enough to help the farmers go through the drought? Now, there's a pretty big drought going on at the moment, um, but droughts are also nothing new to Australia. Droughts are, Australia's the second driest country on earth i think behind antarctica second driest continent one of the two and also you've been doing geography recently would you well, say <laughs> because antarctica is not a country it would probably be a continent so what are how the... do you know it's not a country because it's a continent so is australia I would say, yeah, <laughs> yeah but australia has other countries within like the continent what other countries within australia besides well, australia like, isn't there like the Australia is an, an island, a country, and a continent, isn't it? That's what three. I thought I learned. It's all three. But Andy, Andy apparently knows of a, a country within Australia. So I'm thinking about Do you mean Oceania? Yeah, well, Australia is not actually a, uh, a continent. So I'd say, yeah, probably Oceania. Yeah, it's Oceania, which has a bunch of different countries, which is what I said. But So Australia is not a continent? No. Hmm. I think that could be fake news. <laughs> well, tell us in the idiot. comments. All right. So Australia is a dry... Dry place, relatively little rainfall, precipitation, to use the jargon. And um, Andy's giving me that look. Andy's giving me those eyes. Um, Alright, so there's been a big drought going on. And um, 
Anyway, the the Morrison government announced yesterday that there'll be new one-off payments that will be made to help farmers coming off the farm household allowance scheme uh, of drought support. Um, so fewer than 7,000 farmers currently receive the hardship payments. Um, and legislation before the parliament also offers farmers the chance to earn up to $100,000 a year in off-farm income and still receive the farmer's household allowance, right? What is the farmer's household allowance? Well, the farmer's household allowance, the FHA we might call it, is a fortnightly payment of up to $600 provided by Centrelink paid to farmers experiencing hardship. The Agriculture Minister, Bridget McKenzie, said the one-off payment was designed to help people determine whether they'll be sustainable, should look at succession options, or in some instances, choose to sell. So before the election, uh, the the FHA, you're, you're available or eligible for FHA if you're a farmer for four years in your lifetime. Uh, the coalition then ran on a promise uh, to extend that to four years in 10. So every 10 years it resets. Um, you get 600 bucks uh, a fortnight, farmer's household allowance. Now, they also made it so you the threshold, so the income threshold would be extended from 80,000 to 100,000 and you'd still be allowed to, to get it. The reason for that is they're saying that a lot of the income of the farmers, even though 80,000, 100,000 might sound like a lot, most of it might be going to debt servicing, paying off the debt, instead of that the, they have personally, uh, or the farm has, instead of you know, buying food or sending their kids to school uh, or, or whatever, or, you know, whatever it, it may be. Uh, so Alan Jones said, the Prime Minister today on radio with me has disappointed millions of Australians. I begged him to provide fodder, water and freight so farmers wouldn't have to send their breeding stock to slaughter. He just didn't understand. Now, There is, there's 350 million that's been paid out uh, to farmers in FH, in the farmer's household allowance over the past four years. A lot of people are saying, no, we need to prioritize the farmers a lot higher. Cause I think we paid a billion dollars to Indonesia in drought relief. Um, you know, we should be able to find a billion for, uh, you know, farmers. Uh, but then Scott Morrison in his interview with Alan Jones said, well, we've actually paid out $7 billion recently. I'm not sure that on the time frame, but then there's a lot of smoke and mirrors is what, what does that actually go to? Uh, is it really seven billion? So there's a lot of numbers being thrown around, but basically the contention is that dramas need uh, farmers need to be higher on the priorities list. There's another extra part to this story involving Pauline Hanson, which we'll get to in a second. But Alex and Andos, do you guys have any any thoughts? Farmers' household allowance, farmers' subsidies. What do you think? <clears throat> I would say in general, I'm kind of anti-subsidy as far as. As far as the general as rule far as goes, subsidies goes, as far as subsidies goes, I'm I'm generally anti them. Um, the reason being is that because subsidies end up leading to kind of a, a concentration of capital among areas which is just naturally not as competitive, and it mo- and, and it generates a kind of a distortion of the natural pattern of resources whereby um, resources and capital move from areas of low productivity to high productivity. And so what you end up doing is, in a lot of instances, through subsidies, you end up delaying the inevitable um, demise of a particular industry or business. Um, and it also, there's the opportunity cost of that not going to areas which are growing and need capital and are going to be highly productive in the future for a long period of time. So that's the basic kind of economic premise of why subsidies are bad. Um, but 
you know, it's difficult to it's difficult to say, like considering the fact that we don't operate in a free market as it is, um, and that we're obviously like the the government and um, you know both Liberal and Labor are fairly laissez faire about the way in which that taxes get um, distributed across the economy. Um, not to say that the farmers shouldn't be a higher priority. So I would say in general, um, and the general thing, I would say I'm not a fan of subsidies. However, on the basis that we don't live in a free market and that the government is fairly kind of, well, they paid, they gave 500 million to um, the Great Barrier Reef Society without a tender process. I would say, well, if the government's that kind of uh, ambivalent about where, the, where the, the money should go, then absolutely the farmers should be a higher priority. That would be my reaction. Bandos? Yeah, I'd agree. The farmers, like, from my mates that I know who have properties and stuff, um, the farmers are doing it very, very tough at the moment. And considering they do play a very big role within our society in regards to providing a tangible good that people need, which is like food or like just other stuff like dairy products, all this stuff that farmers do. Milk. Um, yeah, milk is a dairy product. That's that's correct. Um, Cheese. That's, that's another one. Have you got any more or yogurt? <laughs> Am I, should I just not? Carry on, no, Keep going. Keep going. Um, no, that's where I was. Okay. Now, what was, you, you got, what was your reaction, Dukes? Uh, I have a similar, similar reaction. Doss, I liked where you're going. Remember, if you remember it, pick up where you left, 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 off. Oh. Um, that, that wasn't a dig at you. But, get back on the track of farmers and subsidies. I agree with Alex that subsidies are usually not that good, but sometimes they're necessary. The idea that though, that you, you'd be eligible for it four out of every 10 years. It's like, if you're going to need help 40% of the time, it's not a good industry to be in. If you can't be self-sustaining 40% of the time. Um, and I think that, you're going to stay poor if you if you stay in there. And not only are you going to stay poor, you're going to have other Australian families paying you to stay poor. So <clears throat> the interesting thing, though, about food is that there's an argument to say that you want to produce food in your own country, even if it is inefficient. Mm. Because if we have China producing all our food and all of a sudden we have trade tensions with China and China decides to hike up our food prices, uh, then we're in big trouble. Um, in the same way you want a country... you there's a, a good argument say you want a country to produce its own military stuff mm. you know you wouldn't want china producing our military stuff in case we got into a conflict with china and we right. stopped having a military um now that's a that's a hard question that i don't know the answer to but um <clears throat> i think that if you are like there's a lot of australian families who are let's say doing it tough now they might <clears throat> be doing it less tough than the than the farmers are at the moment but I just think the idea that you don't have to change your profession or your job uh, and you're going to for force other families to pay for you to stay in your profession or job so that you can survive doing that job instead of finding a job that can kind of pay more is, is not a good idea in general. Um, but if we are handing out money, then we should, the farmers should be higher on the list of who we hand out money to well i think just because of the nature of the services and goods they provide um i think it's sort of in a different ballpark to most other um occupations but 
I, I think it's I think it's what like I mean the the, the 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 for whatever reason it appears that the conversation always revolves around subsidies rather than the other side of the coin, which would be tax cuts. So I would, for example, I would much rather that the farmers all receive an enormous tax cut than have to tax someone else, right? If if we said we're gonna we're, we're gonna give farmers a fifteen percent flat tax rate rather than having them you know sequentially have to pay more, like if we if we're going to say that the farmers uh, provide a, a, a kind of a, an incredibly important service, a service that is so important that we must sustain them by whatever means, by state or otherwise, then I would say, let's, instead of just taxing everyone else to subsidise it, why don't we just let the farmers spend their own money on their own stuff? And then we can really see how productive they are. Because I think it's, you know, uh, when you have like capital intensive um, practices, which is what farming is, it's intense and like you, you're, you're constantly paying for machinery, new, new machinery, um, large expenditures at a time. High fixed costs. High fixed costs, yeah, as well as ma- uh, like a lot of maintenance and upkeep. You have to make sure that the cash flows are still going. I would say, let's let's stop talking about subsidies, let's start talking about tax cuts. Good idea, I like that. You like tax cuts, DOS? Yep. Yep, I want more money for the people, less money for the corporate fat cats. Ain't that right, Andy? Whatever you say, mate. For the first time listeners, for the first time listeners and for the people who haven't really heard it before, Andy has a slight tendency to call people who he doesn't who he doesn't like uh, corporate fat cats. That's included <laughs> that includes um, members of the Anglican Church, um, uh, teachers, school or, executives, school executives, yeah. school executives. <laughs> more, power, um, more power than man abuse that power. All, pe- all, all people who work um, not even in the private sector but public sector as well, as well as for charities who <laughs> who somehow disagree with Andos on a few on a range of issues. Uh, this is Go from becoming extended. an ordinary hardworking citizen to a corporate fat cat. Extended. To so if if, you, realm if that's not true. If you're listening, if you're listening at home and wondering why the fat cat reference does get thrown around a bit, that's that's the backstory, and it's you know I wouldn't say it's one of Andy's character faults. But it's definitely something he needs to be conscious of because calling Anglican ministers corporate fat cats is, probably doesn't lend the show any credit. It's not one of Andy's best sayings, though. It Andy is does have other sayings. What was the one? It was like one of the first videos. It's like finding the gold in the sand or something like that. Do you remember that? No, sometimes sometimes you got to find... Um, oh, a bit like... It's, it's, uh, yeah, it was rocks in the sand. Yeah, or something. finding rocks in the sand. Sometimes, sometimes you got to look a little harder to find the rocks at the bottom. Of the you know the golden sand at the bottom of the rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't remember what it was. It was a good one. I can guarantee you. That is. I think it might have been one of our first dad. raps. Yeah, I remember because Dad was pissing himself off. <laughs> So stupid <laughs> I've ever heard, and I've never said that. Okay, let's carry on. Let's All right, carry international on. story. Was there Pauline? Did Pauline? Oh yeah, Pauline. So this is kind of separate. But it goes as well as related to the drought. Um, so Pauline Hansen um, has tried to establish a Senate inquiry to investigate the price paid to dairy farmers for their milk. Mm. Now, she had a, a, a interview with Alan Jones, uh, and the interview had to be cut short because Pauline started crying, getting emotional about it. Um, well, crying on 2GB recently. Yeah, so... Senator Pauline pushed the inquiry which could force the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, to regulate milk prices um, with the support of Labor and Senate crossbenchers. Now, she also told Jones that the Liberals and Nationals tried to block the much-needed inquiry. She quote, they voted against it, so did Corey Bernardi. Now, Pauline is saying she's uncovered a range of things which is, needs to be looked into, which she didn't specify, but she's 
said she'll start asking questions in the Senate next week in estimates. Um, what do you think about the idea of regulating milk prices uh, between uh, farmers and presumably just Coles and Woolworths, or maybe Aldi too? It seems like they're the only people who are really buying the milk from the farmers. Uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in general, I'm kind of anti-government intervention in the market, particularly in prices. But I think what's what the um, what the argument has been, particularly among milk, is that because you have um, the kind of the nature of milk producers is that it's fairly diasporic, and what I mean by that is that there's a lot of milk. You producers have to define that, both for the audience and for the hosts. <laughs> uh, define that. So when you talk about the, the the Jews, the Jewish diaspora is kind of the, the, the way that the Jews have kind of spread out over the world, and it's the community, the global community. So um, what it means is that we have dairy is kind of interesting in that there's a lot of separate individual dairy producers. Okay, and it means that they don't really have a lot of individual bargaining power with these big supermarkets. And these big supermarkets just basically say, we're prepared to pay sweet FA for this milk. Either you get it from us or you... you don't sell it. You don't, well, you don't sell it, not only that, but because of the huge capital costs, these dairy I have to sell almost all of it. Okay, because once the milk's well, there, you off. can't move it. Yeah, you've got you to be able to move it straight away. Um, and so basically these huge supermarkets have all, all, all this all this bargaining power and these individual farmers don't. And so that what, what, what a lot of these people are saying is that these um, supermarkets are engaging in predator pricing and predatorial the, tactics. The cartel maybe. A little bit cartelish. Um, so I understand why they're saying that, but it's also, you know, the consumer is the one who benef- who, who ultimately benefits mm. from from these things. And I would say that it's difficult to justify again, but again, in, in in an in an environment where there are all these other price controls, including the minimum wage, which force is forcing these enormous cost increases to these um, farmers anyway, who still need a couple farm hands on. Like when you have to pay them, you know, mm. at a price which isn't directly correlated to their productivity, you're mm. already hurting them. Mm. So you know, free, again, free market principle would say less regulation, but I'm open to hearing about it. But let's just not pretend that if we do that, that the price of milk isn't going to go up. And us? I'd say that if you, if you, you got a little survey of every person who comes out of a Coles or Woolies and you asked, would you be able to, would you be happy to pay two bucks extra on this two litre bowl of milk, um, just to make sure that the farmers get some money? I think most people would say, yeah, sure, that's that's cool. Like, I've, well, mm. no, you got. Yeah, well, I mean, the nature of um, the nature of a perfectly competitive market is one with zero long term profits, right, for uh, producers. So what you have is a situation where you have a lot of a lot of let's say uh, producers of of milk, different different farmers, whatever, and you have like Coles, Woolies, Aldi, whoever is the middleman, but it gets passed on to consumers. But because there's so many producers all competing to sell it, it's drop the price so much that there's there's it looks like no profits in it which is actually what is kind of supposed to happen in long term perfectly competitive market um but then so what's supposed to happen is once there's either zero long-term profits or there's uh let's say producer surplus and there's uh too many people producing too much milk whatever people leave the market because there's less product um the demand will uh Consumers will compete for the available product. It'll go back up again. The price will go back up, and and it kind of reaches like a an equilibrium. An equilibrium. It's a bit of uh, based economics for you. Uh, and um, I think that 
when you've got a, the dairy industry, which has been in Australia for several hundred years, reaching a point where there's not a lot of profits in it, I don't, and it's not really that surprising, it seems. Um, but what I would say is, um, yeah, the, the consumer does benefit from it, and the consumers might be willing to pay to pay extra for it. But at the same time, it's like there's probably a lot of people who deserve to be paid extra for their work. Um, it's hard to make. It's, you might be able to make the case, but it's also hard to make the case that these people in particular uh, should get more. Um, I don't like the idea that it's the government who's who's going in and doing it because th- this is the other thing I was going to say. Let's say the government steps in and does a price regulation, like a price, sets a price floor or something. What that would mean is that you just get a lot of corporate and government entanglement and it, it probably increases like barriers to entry and so that the normal market increases barriers to entry for other firms who want to sell sell the milk so let's say aldi or, or some small supermarket wants to come in buy milk from the farmers sell it for a higher price and kind of everybody wins but if you start having price regulations and stuff it keeps coals and woolies in if we would call them bad actors or poor actors it actually keeps them in uh in control keeps them in market power so once you introduce the regulations and only the big uh actors like Coles and Woolies can abide by it, then you actually eliminate the natural market mechanisms for solving the problem, which would be uh, diverting the business away from uh, like Coles and Woolies and into these uh, other producers and sellers who are more fair. Mm, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, regulation tends to lead to more, monop- uh, more monopolistic behavior rather than less. It's the drug cartels. It is the drug cartels. Um, there was a famous allusion to that in one of our raps. There was. There was, amongst the Royal Commission into Banking. Mm. If you're keen to hear about the drug cartels and the way in which they operate, go listen to our... Um, it might have even been our first rap. The Banking Royal Commission, it might have been one Royal of them. Com- and there was also a, a nice section on furries. Remember that young boss? It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot it's minute. It's been a hot minute. Okay. Still haven't got in trouble yet for that, probably. Well, as long as... As long as we don't blow up too big <laughs> and then we get these... Twitter trolls going through all our podcasts. I guarantee you they'll find stuff. We'll get in trouble. We're, we're going to be getting in trouble. Gonna get trudeaued. Gonna get trudeaued. We're going to get Trudeaued. Not as bad. I don't think we've done blackface, have we? No, I haven't done blackface. No, I haven't done blackface. I don't know. I, don't know, I, I know I haven't. I don't know about you two. All right, well then, I think we're okay on the blackface <laughs> I think front. we're okay. But you never know. In 10 years, there might be something else that... Um, becomes get, a new blackface. That becomes a new blackface, which you didn't realise at this time, and then you get in paying trouble out, for it. Paying out furries or saying you're going to take girls back to the... Uh, <laughs> to the kutch. To the kutch. <laughs> kutch is, is nicely... It's in the sweet spot of ambiguity, where it's kind of a made-up word that also has a meaning. <laughs> so it has a meaning among the five people who also know the word. Who use it. <laughs> yeah. Um... That'll be nice because in you know five or ten years it could mean something else. I think Hopefully that's actually a good. That's a good. Um, that's a good tactic. I reckon, like, is to just bend the English language with you and your friends so that any time you get found out or you send bad messages or whatever, any if it's in coded language that only you and three other people know, then you can't really get in trouble. If we were going to write a book on twenty-first century survival tactics for the for the straight white male, I think coded language and. Um, and be, use use of ambiguous <laughs> terms would probably be in the top five things to do. Yeah, also, uh, no no silly piggies, I would say, is another one. Don't get yourself exposed. But the thing is, the thing about the pictures is that I like I reckon there are some bad, pretty bad pictures of me. 
Oh, yeah. some bad pictures Ooh, of me. Some bad pictures of the And box. so it's like, and so it's like, we. I think you know, this is a genuine conversation that you know, as a society, we probably should try and try and engage in. Is that how are we going to treat treat you know issues of the past like that? Because obviously there's a there's a, a contention among certain elements of the media that that's enough to crucify someone and end their career. Well, yeah. maybe I think I mean Kevin O Seven, God bless him. Walking out of the strip club with the tie around his neck in the wee hours of the morning. His approval rating went up after that, I think. Is that true? SK. <laughs> SK right. Well, obviously, he was, you know... There are, there are the more Christian conservatives... There are the more Christian conservatives which tend to lean liberal. Yeah, and then you got bad boy Kev. Kev 07. Magic Kevin. Kevin 07. Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, as long as it's within reason, I think... Anyways, I don't want to be the reason why these raps go over. I mean, because Andy's the, the, talked about Alex explaining whatever that means. Zan's explaining. Zan's explaining. Because we've got to get we've got to get through this serious story, and um, this is a story with a bit of meat and potatoes in it. Bit of mash, as Andy likes to say. Okay, so do you want me to just rip in? Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> recent weeks, towards the beginning of October, um, Turkish President Mr. Erdogan told. Uh, the Don, Donald Trump, that his troops would be moving into northeastern Syria um, to, to take control of that area. Um, the area in, in northeastern Syria is important because it's been primarily occupied by Kurdish militias. Um, now, the US has backed these Kurdish militias because they were the, one of the largest and most effective ground forces by which the US... Um, were able to get rid of ISIS, particularly in northeastern Syria. So what's happened is Trump has said there's no real reason for us to be there anymore. Um, we're going to withdraw the troops. It's costly. ISIS has largely been decimated. Um, and we, the, the, we see no more point in sustaining a, a kind of a regime, the, the remnants of a regime change war against Bashar al-Assad. Um, so what, what the, the conflict, though, between the Turkish and, um, and the Kurds, particularly the Kurdish militias, began kind of eight years ago as a series of nonviolent protests against the Syrian government, which then morphed into an international conflict between dozens of local factions, um, all vying for power within Syria. So this is when um, Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, so she was in charge of foreign policy. So as you can imagine, some pretty nasty things managed to sprout their ugly Maybe. heads. Mm. Them and their mates, the Bush, the Bush administration the before Bush administration. made an absolute dog's breakfast of the Middle East. Yeah, and but but particularly particularly Syria, particularly Syria that that interchange kind of um, around kind of two thousand and eleven um, was particularly particularly bad. So for several years, the Obama administration. So this I'm going to take this is this is the New York Times analysis. So I mean, obviously, you take this with caution. For several years, the Obama administration resisted calls to play a direct role in the Syrian war. It's not entirely true, but preferring instead to provide funding and training for some rebel groups. Now, what they meant by funding and training for some rebel groups, this was as kind of an aside to um, their fighting ISIS. So what, 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 what was happening was uh, the CIA and the FBI were particularly keen on ousting Bashar al-Assad on the basis that they wanted someone who was more US-friendly to be at the head of Syria. Assad is Russia-friendly. Assad is Russia-friendly. Um, and so what they did was, and this has all been documented, is that the CIA particularly launched a bunch of clandestine operations in which they tried to arm and fund um, red, uh, Syrian rebel operations to um, overthrow al-Assad. The problem is, is that 
For a successful revolution and coup to occur, you actually have to mobilise not just the extremist groups, but the kind of the, like the, the middle, middle people, the ordinary people. And so the problem was that they found was that in 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 large respect, the middle people were actually favourable to Al Assad. They actually didn't mind him, um, and they thought that there was a lot of fake news going around. And what they were particularly not fond of was U.S. intervention, arming a bunch of uh, Islamic extremists uh, around the corner from everyday families. Mm. Yeah, they weren't a massive fan of the uh, of the CIA giving um, what giving. Al Qaeda sympathisers uh, rocket launchers. It is, it is quite um, well. It is interesting because if you ask who are these rebel groups, what do they believe? People say the. The rebel groups that people will be able to name is, well, the Kurds. Oh, who are the Kurds? What do they believe in? Yep. Oh, I don't know. They're bad. They're not good. They're not, they're not, there's, there's not good people there. They're all pretty. They're pretty. There's a lot of bad hombres. But, then, hombres. but then, like, we did the same thing when we actually funded um, Al-Qaeda. Like, this funding and training of Al-Qaeda when, what was it? Who was it? Was it uh, Russia invaded Afghanistan or something? like what i'm not across that one yeah well so people say that pe- oh yeah 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 the initial the russians went into afghanistan well before the us did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what was that was that 80s or something yeah, I think or like 70s like, and 80s 70s and then 90s, we yeah, funded yeah. al-qaeda because yeah. they didn't like russia now the only reason we funded them is because they didn't like russia in the same way the only reason we're funding the kurds is because they don't like assad now if if you were to turn around to me and say what lesson should we have learned from 9-11 and and maybe funding uh, al-qaeda it's that don't just don't just assume the enemy of your enemy is your friend mm. because al-qaeda turned out to be real bad real bad right and just giving money to the kurds because they don't like assad doesn't mean that they're good and to be fair assad probably is he's probably a lot better than people give him credit for well the problem the problem, like you, you look at Iraq and, and what happened there and, and Afghanistan and, and everything toppling Saddam Hussein only created an enormous power vacuum mm. um, which which kind of um, generated the rise of the initial form of, of what was ISIS and what morphed into ISIS and the thing is when you when you uh, kind of encourage a regime change war in a particularly and uh, theocratically unstable um, area in which there are a whole bunch of different sides and a whole bunch of different ethnic factions, you actually generate a massive power vacuum. And, and, and when you talk about hierarchies, you want the hierarchy to be based on competence, not on your ability to exert force and violence. And so that ends up being the currency, the, the, the group that uh, rises to the top, it, it, like in Syria, which happened with ISIS, is not, not the one that wins over the hearts and minds of all the people, but the ones who can um, point, point to the hearts and minds um, with AK-47. And so when Tulsi Gabbard, who's, who's, who's kind of been um, blackballed by the mainstream media, says we don't want another regime change war, what she's talking about is the fact that when you do topple a leader undemocratically without the people's consent, you create a massive power vacuum. So this is this is something that Trump ran on as well. We shouldn't say that this should be unexpected. He he also did announce he was withdrawing troops from Syria like four months ago, and then a bunch of people were like no 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 can't do it can't do it can't do it. I think he then waited another well four four months four months, four months or however long since then and said all right well if nothing's changed in that four months we're going to get out. We're not staying there. Yeah. So so what, what what's happened is uh, Trump Trump told um, Erdogan that uh, we're going to pull troops out. Erdogan said. Um, okay, well, we're going to launch our cross-border offensive into Syria. And so the mainstream media then went into hysterics and said, well, you're all these Kurds who helped us fight ISIS who are going to be slaughtered by the Turks. And there is, um, basically, there is kind of a, a reason and kind of a rationale in which you could justify that. However, as Trump says, the Kurds are not 
are not great guys. A lot of these uh, militias are opportunists and almost mercenaries. Mm. Um, so Trump is saying, yeah, I understand that they helped fight ISIS, but they were helping fight ISIS because they wanted control of that area, um, not because they liked the US, which basically no one in the Middle East does. Yeah. Mm. Um, so the mainstream media has gone into hysterics and the, the typical people who are supposed to be, be pro-peace and don't like uh, Trump's rhetoric are a massive fan of putting US troops in harm's way between two hostile militant... Um, well, well militant they weren't people. always fans of that. They only became fans of that after Donald Trump took the opposite position. Yeah. And I, I wanted to read out uh, a tweet from, uh, from Donald who said, I'm the only person who can fight for the safety of our troops and bring them home from the ridiculously, the ridiculous and costly endless wars and be scorned. Democrats always liked that position until I took it. Democrats always liked walls until I built them. What happened there? The other one I'll read is he said, about 500,000 human beings were killed in Syria while Barack Obama was president and leading for a, quote, political settlement to that civil war. Media has been more outraged in the past 72 hours about withdrawing the troops from Syria than they'd ever been at any point during the seven years of slaughter. Yeah. That was actually a quote from Buck Sexton. Yeah, so um, this is this is one of, one of the things. It, it used to be said that when, when the entirety of the, of the media and when both sides agree on something, that be prepared for an extra big um, taking it up. Um, so when, when, when you, what, what, what we're going to find out here, and this is another example of the Russia thing, right? What this, what this conflict and what, what this, the way this story is going to be told is we're actually going to find out, if you just take a step back and you look at it objectively, we're going to find out who in the media is getting paid by the military-industrial complex, as well as who, who, who are the people who, who have no real morals and ethics. Because there's absolutely no excuse for the US to be there in Syria. There's no real, there's no real reason, okay? Um, and, and there's no real reason for, for the US to be in the Middle East anyway, full stop. So the people who go in the hardest and the people who, who, who are willing to badmouth Trump and Tulsi Gabbard on this, we're going to find out again in the same way that we found out who is the puppet of the deep state with the Russiagate thing. We're going to find out really who the, who the people are who just cannot be trusted in news, as well as who are the people in Congress who can't be trusted. Um, so there is a silver lining for this, and I hope that you know for all the, for all the um, listeners who are paying attention and, th- and not and not having heard this um, side of the story before, I would say keep an eye out because I think you'll probably see um, quite a bit on the mm. ABC and even a little bit on the Guardian has come out already saying that the Kurds are going to be slaughtered and we have an ethical responsibility to go in there. But isn't there a deal? That's uh... that's correct. So it's out of the deal. It's out of the deal. Um. So uh, Mike Pence met with Erdogan and they have agreed on uh, to suspend the cross-border operation for a period of 120 hours. So that was Mike Pence's way of saying five days in order to allow the Kurdish troops to withdraw, potentially halting the latest bloodshed in Syria's long war. So um, a statement released. So that what they've done is they've generated a safe zone between Turkey and Syria. Um, and the safe zone is about 20 miles deep. Um, and so there's still a number of ambiguities and a number of questions about how that's actually going to work in effect, who controls the safe zone in effect. Um, it looks as if Turkey will control the safe zone. However, um, we're still waiting for the details to come out on that. So not only this, but in recent days as well, the Kurds have um, been able to get the Syrian government to agree to defend them in the case of a cross-border um, incursion. 
And that kind of makes sense because the Kurds are actually, they're an ethnic group and they constitute anywhere between kind of estimates say between 8 and 13 or 14% of the Syrian population. So they're the largest uh, ethnic group in Syria. And, and just by that fact alone, you can see what type of melting pot Syria really is and that, that the whole Middle Eastern area. Um, it, that's quite interesting and you can see why there, are, there would be factional issues on ethnic grounds. Um, just considering of how many different uh, ethnic minorities there are in the same place, often with diverging um, religious persuasions. So we're going to see how it plans out. Um, I mean, I th my, my personal opinion straight away is that um, any kind of halt to potential bloodshed is, is a good step forward. And if, if that also you know, swiftly moves um, US troops out of there, I think that's a good thing. What's your reaction, Dukes? Well, if any wanders off, presumably to the kitchen to get a little bite of something to eat or something to quench his parched mouth. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's good. I think um, I yeah, it's a very hard question to answer why we've been there. Someone just might say to stop Russia or something, but I don't even think Russia's a bad guy uh, in this context. Mm. Um, I think that uh, I think Bashar. I mean, you look at the interviews on YouTube that Bashar's done with, like, Western reporters, and Bashar just crisps them all. Like, these Western reporters make allegations which are just not based on facts. Um, they all, they all quote the White Helmets and organizations, organizations like that, which have been shown to be entirely corrupt. Yeah, and um, <coughs> it, it would not... Like, there's a lot of fake news that goes on in that region because we, like, Syria uh, hates Israel... Um, and um, the only, the only other country in the Middle East I think which does which doesn't mind Israel is is Saudi Arabia, and I think Saudi Arabia also hates Syria, um, and so there's a lot of uh, fake fake news that comes to the West uh, because we usually like Israel, um, and so then we just automatically assume whoever's in charge of Syria is just a terrible person, um, and I think that. Uh, I think that it's hard. It's hard to nav orient yourself in, in in the fake news. Hundred percent. I think you. I think you're absolutely right. And, but there are just so many different competing interests because obviously there's the possibility of the construction of a massive pipeline that was supposed to run through Syria. So you have the U.S. Saudi pipeline, and then you also have the kind of Iraq Russia pipeline that runs through kind of northern Syria. Yeah. Um, and so you have obviously when there's a pipeline involved, there's going to be a lot of dark money, and there's going to be a lot of deep state money that's been going that's going to be going into that. Yeah. And so that's going to naturally filter its way into the news because a lot of these um, journalists are just activists moonlighting as journalists mm. um, and who are kind of just paid uh, puppets of the, of the deep state. So I would say that, you know, Noam Chomsky used to say that when you, when you get the news, like sometimes you just got to hold it up to the light, shake it a bit, turn it upside down and, you know, filter a little bit. And then, you know, the truth is somewhere in there. Okay. But, you've re but it, it's, it's not as it is presented. Um, and certainly in the Middle East, the Middle East is probably the most difficult to get accurate journalism on just because there are so many competing interests on both kind of economic and religious grounds. Um, besides the fact that it has been just, uh, uh, just a, a place for fighting, basically. It's just been a fighting place for like the past two and a half, three thousand years, you know. It's just been it's the, the most violent place on earth, pretty much, as far as I can see. Well, the Persian Empire was pretty good for a while, wasn't it? Isn't that in the Middle East? Yeah, Xerxes That's and maths. They did some mathematics there. There's astronomy. No yeah, yeah. I think they invented zero. The number zero there. Did they? 
Well, we can find we have out. Xerxes. But Xerxes starts with an X. But it's, there's <laughs> a lot of there's a lot of different spellings of That's different true. people coming from different languages, eh? That's you true. mean like different languages? Do you reckon Xerxes people? invented yeah. zero? I would say there'd be a correlation between them. I would say Xerxes that, himself. I'd say the name and the number. <laughs> would he have invented the Xerox printer? Similar name, <laughs> similar sounds. I didn't realise we uh, had Carl Barron here for a while, but now we're bringing Cat. All right, Doss, how are we going to finish up the rap? Unless you have no, anything more to say with Bashar and uh, the Kurds. Look, oh, did, we, we should I, before, we should. Uh, sorry, you go, you go, you go. Sorry, mate. I did miss a little bit of that because I was actually making sure this, uh, this show could run properly, but. Uh, I always you get did, you're getting the charge up to support the audio. I always get very confused with different places in the Middle East because there's always uh, different tensions, different competing parties in different countries that all sort of get muddled in in my brain as like similar or the same scenario. So like you'd be talking about like a, a situation in Iraq and I thought of think maybe that was what was happening in like Egypt or another spot like that. So I'm not... And I feel as if that's sort of a common sentiment where it's sort of easy to mix up a bunch of stuff and you don't really know what you're talking about. Best thing know. to do is get yourself a map and, and try and familiarise yourself with where things are because a lot of these things are, are geographically motivated. Uh, the one shout-out we should give um, is to our girl, Tulsi Gabbard, who crushed the last Democratic debate, was um, by far and away the most searched Google candidate after the debate, um, who's just been kicking goals left, right and centre. Um, won't win though she won't win but I mean if we were going to put the interests of America first she should she should be well, what, she's, what she's really running for right now is it seems like uh, a vice presidential spot she could become somebody's running mate it'd probably be Bernie yeah um, which would be a hot ticket there's no question it'd be popular except the mainstream media will not have it mm. because Bernie's a straight white male and Tulse doesn't like the Middle East and she, wouldn't she say she also spoke out against kind of the impeachment thing as well? Yeah, she did. She did the other day. She said the impeachment proceedings basically began... When, as soon as Donald as Trump got elected. Trump got elected, we have to accept that he won. Hmm. So Tulsi is obviously um, the smartest person in that debate, I think, by, by a fairly... By, there's daylight. There's daylight for a second. Um, well, there's that billionaire guy. I don't know much about him, but he's probably... It's hard to be a billionaire that being smart. But well, maybe you would make a distinction yeah, between yeah. intelligence and wisdom. I think Jack Dorsey, is that his name, the head of, the head of Twitter? Wouldn't... He's not in the debate, is he? No, I was just saying there's a... Uh, <laughs> there's not necessarily... Just by the by from Andos. Love it, mate. Love it. Um, Alex, Michael you've been a bit short with Andy this show. I think Michael... Was it Michael Bloomberg, also a billionaire? He was also a Democratic... He was the mayor of New York, if I remember. Well, I'm not sure what the go is with billionaires running for the Democrats. Well, what is what is it? Trump is like the first Republican billionaire to run in ages. When Trump would have been described himself as a Democrat for a long time, I think. I I think he's registered donor for both parties. Yeah, no, it was funny. He when he had the Republican debate and he said, "Like I've given money to like every single person on this stage," and there was like one guy's like, "No, he didn't give money to me," and everyone else just was uncomfortable Mm. shuffling. Yeah, well. 
you know, it's one of those things. Mitt Romney's not a billionaire, Andy. No. Andy's just looking at Mitt Romney on the computer. Yeah, his net worth is about a quarter billion. But... Oh, there's definitely people who got rich in politics. Oh, uh, there's that one standout case. Oh, well... Hillary Rodham. And the Bidens. Bidens? And Hunter I'm Biden. Sure, I'm sure, yeah, I know, that's what I'm saying. Did you guys cover that last yeah, time? Yeah, we did. Goddamn I'm Hunter sure the Biden. Bushes as well. The Bushes, there'd be rich some bu- rich Bushes. Yeah, there'd be some rich... There'd be some money in that hey, bush. Hey, you there behind the bushes. <laughs> Andy. Now well, we don't... Uh, considering that's now wrapped up, took its time, but we're there. Uh, we don't leave any loose ends on this show. We don't leave anything untied, you would say. So we are uh, jumping back. We have Dr. Xanax. Explain to us why jeans and joggers should be more of a thing, I think is the... More of a thing and it should lose the stigma. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Should lose the stigma. Well, I would say joggers. Joggers, the reason why I say this now, I mean, I'm going to channel my best Stephen A. Because you're old. The reason I'm going to say this is the following. So there has been an evolution in sneakers and joggers. So what used to be the case is you would wear jeans with a nice pair of shoes. Sneakers were previously only used for sporting activities. Now... Sneakers have become the go-to casual shoe. So I would say there should be no reason why jeans and joggers, which are just another pair of sporting wear, comfortable and supportive, should be stigmatised to the extent that it is. You're conflating two wildly different things. Sneakers and joggers are two different types of shoes. Right now I'm wearing these Pumas. You can't jog in these. These are sneakers. Sneakers you don't do sports in. Sneakers you can. Sneakers you do maybe walking in. Joggers are like running shoes. Okay, well let me give you an example. The Nike TN is actually a running shoe. Okay, so I'm saying we're already kind of halfway there. People wear jeans and TNs. Banning TNs. Banning TNs. If you wear wear jeans and TNs, you're a straight up weirdo. Andy. Mm. Well, there goes all the the lads that were watching. They don't wear jeans and TNs. Yes, they do. They wear jeans and they roll them up and they wear TNs. I can hear the small sound, the small rustling of lads untying their TNs as they're listening to this. Or the sharpening of switchblade knives. Ready to come for (laughs) For legs 11. Returning all their Nordicas. Nordica is... I was wearing a Nordica today. You're saying that... Anyways, I I think joggers are comfortable. They're getting more and I'm more stylish. I'm ahead of the game. They're getting more and more stylish, and I think we should be ahead of the game here and remove the stigma. I'm talking about like um, you like New Balance running shoes, or like you know those type of running shoes. You know that type of one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, like the Gel Kayanas. I know what you're talking. You're about. talking about the Air Monarchs, is what you're talking about. The the dad of the barbecue shoes. Okay, but but the grandpa picking you up from preschool shoes. We've already we've already got a situation <laughs> where people wear basketball shoes out. Basketball. I shoes. hate that trend. Well, just because you hate it doesn't mean it, it's, it, well, it's got stigma. Sh- yeah, it does, because girls hate it too. No girl goes, oh, that guy's wearing basketball shoes. That's cool. Okay, well, it is a bit of a trend amongst the African-American yeah, community in America. So if you're a rapper, you can do it. Yeah, if you got money and you got clout, you can do it. But I'm saying if it's okay for them, I think it should be okay. I think it's time that to bring great. sports footwear into the... Into the into, into I think the you jeans. can only play, only wear... Sports footwear when you're doing that particular sport. Take it off otherwise. But like for example, you take the Stan Smiths. Stan Smiths, which are sneakers, are just 
Tennis shoes. They're old tennis shoes. Now they're weightlifting shoes. And now that they're, they're also stylish. I think the point you're missing is that jeans and joggies is not a stylish look. According to you. Yes. <laughs> and you don't have style. <laughs> Comes back with this bloody perm on his head. He thinks he's... Thinks he's big, eh? I wash my hair, so it's a bit puffy at the minute. A little bit like your personality today. Um, Andy, look, to be fair, Alex was short with Andy this podcast, so I'm going to say it. I'm going to say what everyone's been thinking. A bit too much, so. Okay. Alexander picked me up once in China and said I was being too short with Andy. And I think it, Alex has been too short with Andy today. Okay, alright. I, I take that criticism on board. And um, Andy... I'm sorry for being too short. I shouldn't have been too short, particularly on the first podcast back. There's no excuse for it, and I'm going to do my best to grow and move on from this. I hope we can both continue a, a functional working relationship on the podcast, but a more brotherly uh, relationship outside. A cordial one, at least. At least preserve the civility. At least a, 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 a civil relationship. For the kids. Honestly, you can jog on back to China, honestly. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm, that, that was a pretty sincere apology, I think, and I think everyone at home can give Andy Comment some con- a sincere constructive apology criticism of Andy, also some non-constructive criticism. Just some straight-out hating, I think, <laughs> might be in order. I'm keen right. when we do it, some get our merchandise sorted out finally to do um uh, <laughs> least constructive criticism competition <laughs> merch giveaway. <laughs> I think that'd be good. I think I think we need to move towards less constructive criticism as a society. <laughs> That's what I think. The question uh, is, does Andy have skin thick enough for a segment like that? Because can you imagine, you know, mum tells Andos off once and it's it's good night, Irene. Jeez, Alex can't help himself today. He rejected my apology, so I'm, I'm just going in. I'm just going in. Andos, mate, you're in charge of the audio. You're going to click that end button soon. Yep, I think it's time to go. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next week, I guess. Hopefully, there's three member wrap next week, but we'll don't count our chickens till they hatch. And hopefully, it's not an hour long, because we seem to have a direct correlation between three members. I need to get my twenty minutes up. I need to get my shots up. Dude, you're gonna ride the bench. If you if you have interest in a CHP social basketball team, do some vlogs, maybe be on the team if you're good enough. Also, let us know. Yeah, we're recruiting. So, better better you are, the better chance you are of getting in. We're going to be holding auditions. Andy's going to be um, showing us all how to do layoffs. I'm excited. That wasn't even funny. It wasn't a joke. There you go, Andos. All right, see you next <laughs> week. <laughs>